Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and yeah, once again joined by Stefan Biankowski. Stefan, how's it going? How was your weekend? Yeah, very good indeed. My weekend was fun. Uh, took in lots of football, took in lots of sun for a change. Spring is finally here. So yeah, spirits are high in a good mood. Uh, sun, I talk about some football. Sun sounds good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I went surfing in Tofino. We had one day of sun, and the rest was rain. Good thing that you get wet anyways when you surf, so it didn't really matter too much. But um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, I don't think anyone cares about us getting a suntan or, or surfing in Tofino. So let's let's just jump right into this this football action thing. Um, we've got quite a bit of things to talk about this week. And I think the one place that we should start is probably at the bottom of the table before we work our way up. And the relegation battle has become really quite interesting, I find. You've got... And I'm really curious about your opinion on this, Stefan. Um, we were skating in our criticism of Hertha last week when we had Kerry Howe on. And, mm -hmm. you know, one result doesn't make me change my mind. Um, but I did think it was interesting how Hertha responded. And Margaret wasn't there, right? He had COVID. <laughs> All mm -hmm. this, like, talk about him coming in and then this criticism about him coming in and then the first match he misses misses right away. Um, instead, it was Fodderingham, a Scottish coach who speaks quite well German. Um, I mm -hmm. was really impressed by that. And he leads Hertha to a 3-0 win over Hoffenheim, a team that um, we're probably going to talk about later in the show because we're going to talk about the Champions League race as well. Mm -hmm. But how shocked, I don't want to say surprised, I want to use the word shocked, how shocked were you about this result? Oh, it blew everything out of the water uh, on Saturday. I was watching the Stuttgart game, which I thought itself was hugely fascinating. But then you were just seeing these results coming across the country and Hertha score one. And you're like, okay, maybe that's just a, you know, a dodgy goal. Hoffenheim will pull it back. Things will be fine. Uh, but then it just kept adding more and more and more. And it was, it was incredible. And, you know, it was just it was just bonkers. I mean, I haven't actually watched the game back. I haven't seen the highlights, so I can't talk about it so much. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting reading the comments from the players after the game. Um, you know, I think it was Nicholas Stark said that, <laughs> I think he said after the game to maybe Sky Germany that Fotheringham was, you know, he's absolutely nuts. And they were talking about how, throughout training leading up to the game, he was just screaming at these guys to run through walls. Uh, very typical kind of Scottish tactics there. Just run as hard as you can and we'll, we'll start. Um, we'll take it from there and see how we got on. And, you know, fair enough. Maybe that's exactly what Hertha needed. If Hertha needed 
a kind of disciplinarian if they needed someone who would literally walk in and scare you know the crap out of a squad full of perfectly good players uh, but just weren't trying hard enough then it was the perfect antidote to a terrible terrible season and it'll be interesting to see what happens now uh, if you know Felix McGatt comes back in and results take another downturn do they then say okay thanks Fodder and him you, you take over from here or or whatever else, because obviously any any result at this point of the season is just so precious for her to. Um, yeah, was, but, sorry, yeah I agree go. with that. Like obviously the results, um, everyone right now counts out. Sorry for for interrupting you there, by the way. That's um, okay. I thought it was really interesting how standard situations were such a big one, and we know that Plattenhardt is very good at that, but we didn't really see much of it this year, didn't we? I mean, that mm. was. One of the things, and then Plattenhardt is a former German national team player. Um, and that used to mean something. Not sure like, how much it means now and because the Louvre era is obviously done. But it's. Um, I, I did think that was quite interesting that it seemed like almost they were running through the, a wall now rather than, you know, just unmo- unemotionally going through the motions. And... I had one source tell me during the week that um, you'll see with Magat, he's going to kick their kick their collective butts and get them going. Um, I kind of this was a phone call, so he didn't see my eye roll, but I, there was an eye roll, Stefan, because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, I, I just didn't buy it. I'm not, and I'm still, I'm not sure I'm still buying it. But um, yeah. I did think it was interesting how the who were following him. Um, in the press conference, and I'm curious what you make of it because you are Scottish, and there was obviously people love playing stereotypes. This happens in every country. Just look at the, the stuff that Marsh has to go through in in the US mm. right now as a Leeds United coach, right? And uh, the the American stereotypes he has to deal with in the UK. So this is this happens everywhere. But one journalist um, asking whether he used a Braveheart emotional speech. And Fordingham thought that was quite disrespectful. Do you agree mm. with him there? I, I personally do. But but what's your take on it? Yeah, I think he probably gave the correct answer. Um, you know, he's not there. I mean, as as I just said, you know, he's obviously a very intimidating guy. It's part of his job. It's probably part of why he's a good coach or why he has been a good coach this week for Hertha. Um, I think he's a very serious and a very ambitious guy as well. So I think he's looking at this opportunity um, as an because he's obviously, uh, you know, he's he's learned his trade, as we would maybe see in the UK, in Germany to an extent. I think he did a spell at Ingolstadt, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously he speaks German as well. So he's obviously spent some time in the country as well. So he obviously has a huge amount of respect for Hertha. He's got a lot of respect for himself to try and make the most of this opportunity. So, you know, to be asked the first question, what do you think of Braveheart? It's, 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 it's as you said, it's the, exam- it's, the, it's the exact same as, you know, an American coach coming in and being asked about, you know, I don't Ted know, Lasso. As you, Ted Laszlo or I don't know. Gosh, I'm trying to think of another example of like a stereotype, but um, you know, it's it's just it's it's just stupid, it, and it is something you know that happens to everyone everywhere. You know, it's mm-hmm. I I mean I I know for a fact covering football in Scotland that um, you know we've had foreign coaches come up come here who maybe don't speak great English, but they speak some English and they just get asked questions about stereotypes. Because I remember there was one Italian coach at Kilmarnock 
and he used to just get asked constant questions about Serie A football from the 90s and things like that, which just kind of led to very clueless looks from him. Um, but it is what happens everywhere. I mean, when I was living in Germany, whenever I said I was from Schottland, um, it, it, it would lead to these constant questions. I never really got asked about Braveheart, funny enough. I was quite fortunate. It usually led to a very pleasant conversation about how, you know, the person I was talking to would say, oh, we like to go to Scotland in the summer and go hill walking because that's all Germans do. Um, but <laughs> and so, so Scotland's perfect for that. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it just goes to show that every single country relies on stereotypes. Every country can be really awkward with these things. Um, whether it's Jesse Marsh, whether it's Fotheringham, whether it's a German or Italian coach in Scotland, it's, it's, it happens everywhere. So but I think he answered it perfectly well. He seems like a really serious, really ambitious guy. And I think he probably gave the answer the Hertha Berlin fans wanted because they know that they're in no position to have a coach who's going to sit and laugh through press conferences. They want someone who's very serious and will take this emergency situation as seriously as it should be. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, it's. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see whether this is a one one time thing or whether they now they have two weeks, right? The international break is going to be very big for all these clubs down there. Um, they got two weeks, and then they are in Leverkusen on Saturday, April the second, which is going to be, I think, a really really big game for them. Hopefully, back with Maga. I wish him all the best with his COVID infection that he gets through it as quickly and speedily and healthily as possible. And I think that's going to be probably the, the actual real test for them, Stefan. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think Pagat probably comes back into the Bundesliga with quite a lot to prove. Um, not just from a German point of view, but also what he's been doing in between. You know, he obviously had a spell in England that didn't work out very well. He's had a few yeah. spells in some bizarre international football uh, positions. So we'll just have to kind of wait and see what happens. I have a kind of funny suspicion that they may have brought McGath in with maybe one eye on what happens next season if they get relegated. I know he has already said, you know, it's only a position I want until the end of the season. I'm only staying in hotels in Berlin. Uh, I'm not interested next season, which, okay, fair enough, maybe. Uh, But, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they do maybe keep him on, even if they get relegated as a kind of long-term fixer for this team that's just full of these prima donnas and egotistical overly paid players you know as we talked about last week uh, with Kerry on the show mm. um so yeah i, I the, by no means are higher to out of the out of the woods yet but luckily teams around them seem to be dropping points as well yes and that's that's absolutely correct um with one exception and i want to <sighs> talk about them next because uh, you know, kind of giving myself a pat on the back here. I've been saying for weeks that Stuttgart are going to climb out of there. Um, and every week I'm like, ah, not happened this week, not happened this week. And then a couple of weeks ago, it start, it's finally starting to happen. And you see it, they're out of the relegation zone now. And you get the sense that this team, now that they are started to get going, um, will only keep going because all of a sudden momentum is on your side, right? And this was a crazy game against Augsburg in what we call a six-pointer, right? In mm. the relegation zone. And um, Thiago Thomas with the, the late winner in the 85th minute after Mamouche made a 2-2 uh, for mm. Stuttgart in the 79th. So this is a late turnaround for them. And the stadium is full once again. Um, 
the atmosphere was just insane, right? With 60,000. And that stadium, as bad as the infrastructure in that stadium is with the world's worst internet, um, it the Stuttgart fans are loud. Mm. You know, they have, it's some of the best in-stadium atmosphere that you get when it's full. And it, it was full. Um, and I think that really helps. And now you have the emotion back on your side. I, I get the sense that the Stuttgart team will very quickly climb out of there. And I'm going to lean out of the window here, Stefan, and say mid-table finish, comfortable mid-table finish for them. What do you think? Wow. Yeah. Uh, that's quite that's quite a claim. I'll, well, maybe not. I suppose six points and they're above Bochum, so maybe not. But I, I completely agree with you. I thought they were the better team uh, throughout this match. I thought it was a really interesting game because... You know, I kind of spent the last kind of couple of weeks saying that I thought, you know, Kaladzic was going to be the guy who played mm. such a pivotal role in this in these couple of weeks because he's a, he's the big striker, uh, he's a target man, he's kind of the player that this whole team is built around, and he was probably Stuttgart's worst forward. I thought uh, on Saturday he just couldn't do anything right. He had one chance directly in front of goal and he missed it. Um. And then you saw kind of Augsburg go on and take the lead through Andre, uh, Andre, Andre Han, Han and Gregoric. You know, these two kind of hardened Bundesliga veterans. And I kind of thought, okay, I was, I was kind of tweeting this out actually at the time as it happened um, just before the game turned on his head. But I thought, you know, this is kind of maybe how Augsburg are going to be able to survive. They've got these hardened veterans of the Bundesliga. They know what to do. And I was kind of saying, like, this is maybe you know, exactly why the signing of Pepe is so bizarre because they would have to trade out one of these kind of one of these players um to, to put him into the into the team into the team. Even for example like Ruben Vargas who's maybe a similar profile to, to uh Pepe. I thought he had a quite a good game as well. But in Vitzel, um not Vitzel, sorry, Vine Vitzel, Vinezio, um he kind of changed things in the second half. He, you know, he kind of changed that front line. And even though Augsburg were kind of defensive for the whole match, they suddenly had no out ball. And then I thought the game kind of turned on his head. You know, I thought Marmouche had a fantastic game. I think Wolfsburg fans must be really happy with him, what he, the kind of player he's slowly but surely turned into because he's kind of filling in a role there in that team that's obviously been missing for so long because the players have been out injured for Stuttgart. Um and I thought he on one wing and Thiago on the other wing were just tremendous throughout the game. Uh, and I, th- I really think Stuttgart probably went on to deserve the, deserve the match. I haven't looked at the XG, but I think I saw something like Augsburg had 10 goal attempts to Stuttgart's 24. You know, so, you know, maybe on another day, Augsburg could have picked up all three points or picked up a draw with that defensive performance. But they looked like a very one-dimensional team who had only ever shown up to try and take a point from that game. And Stuttgart eventually broke through. Um, and it should be really... It should lead to a lot of confidence to them because that's now, you know, three games now, two wins and a draw. Uh, they've only lost one of the last five. Um, and they are slowly kind of getting back to where they were last season, I think. Uh, the XG, Stefan, was 2.82 to 1.28. Um, so Stuttgart, pretty effective. And yeah. Augsburg, mm. it's, I know we have a lot of listeners from the US, so I do want to touch on this because Pepe not even coming off the bench here, right? And 
I mean, when do you ask the tough question about this transfer and A, the need of it and B, whether it was the right move for the player? Mm -hmm. And I'm getting to the point now where like he's not even starting and there is a chance that they're going down. Is that, you know, as an 18-year-old and I remember speaking to him a few weeks ago as part of our DFL roundtable. He said that the choice was like he knew the risks um, about this deal and going there. Um, but like, this is one of those things where you really think, well, if you knew the risks and the other option was to maybe go to Wolfsburg, and I know that Dallas wanted this deal because of the fee that Augsburg ended up paying. Mm. I, I just, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm just still baffled by it, but. You just wonder, like, a deal like that to a club like this that obviously don't really need him right now because I think you're quite right. You want these grizzled veterans playing in in, in attack. Mm-hmm. It's just the longer it goes on, the, more, the less sense it makes. And this could be one of those deals that could really, really backfire for all sides. Yeah, absolutely. I think if I think if Augsburg go down this season, that's probably going to be the very first thing they just questioned by the fans why did we spend 80 million euros on a player that we never even used um which is a huge amount of money for a team like augsburg who can go on and use that technically to bring in maybe three or four players in january um, which can make a huge difference for them um now i i actually think they probably have just about enough about them to kind of stay up um you know i I, despite how herta did at the weekend I still think they'll probably get relegated. Greuther first, of course, despite picking up a decent draw against Freiburg, which is also another unexpected result. Um, they're going down, and it now seems as though Armenia Bielefeld are going down as well after you know a really bizarre kind of turn in form. I really thought they were safe a couple of months ago, but that just goes to show, I suppose, that a couple of results can really turn this kind of part of the table on its head. Um, but yeah, if Augsburg do end up going down. Um, that will be the first thing, and and that's such an unfortunate thing for a young player to hang have over their head because he'll know, even if you know, you know, as a player he hasn't had an opportunity to really prove himself, perhaps, but he'll know that a lot of that blame will be laid on him. Yeah, he's of course one Peppy, right, and the other one. Then um, I actually did manage to also speak to George Bello last week, um, who's gone to Bielefeld, of course, and um, mm-hmm. they lose four 0 to Mainz and do drop to the direct relegation spot. Um, there's this is, I think, a little bit of a different situation because with Bielefeld, they they pay quite a lot less than mm-hmm. Augsburg did for um, Pepe, um, 1.8 million when you include all the bonuses. And I had mm-hmm. like, a couple of agents call me right after that deal was done because we were one of the pages, Transfermark was one of the pages reporting this transfer, right? And and they, like one of the agents was like, no way. Um, I said <laughs> like, yeah, like, it's done. <laughs> this is happening. And he said to me, they'll make money on George Bello as early as the summer. <laughs> because like if they go down, they'll be able to sell him for for profit for that deal. Because they, he's in such high demand, he's such a high talent with such a significant amount of up upside and left backs are so hard to come by that they will mm-hmm. make money on him. So he said, like even if they go down, this is still an extremely brilliant transfer by them. And Kramer, of course, um, speaking to Bello, Kramer was one of the main reasons why he did it. Uh, Kramer, of course, I think 
you know, look, in Bielefeld, I think if they go down, they leave the coach untouched because he's doing mm-hmm. good job, good work there. And like the expectations there are that you are top 25 team in Germany, right? Mm. So not relegation isn't exactly the end of the world. Um, no, of course not. In Bielefeld. Um, so, and I, I don't know, like in the end of the day, like it's always the teams that have the least amount of pressure that sort of stay up. Yeah. Oh yeah, we've talked about this countless times about the, the the kind of huge kind of fallen giants that seem to just come one after another in German football, and you know Hertha Berlin's a perfectly good example of that. Um, mm. Maybe Gladbach, although they seem to have maybe turned a corner as well. But pressure is entirely on Hertha Berlin to fix this problem. You can almost see that now with Gorterfurt and this in the way that they've played in the second half of the season. First half of the season, they were utterly, utterly dreadful. Second half of the season, even though they're maybe not picking up as many points, they're still beginning to scrape some points and they're actually beginning to put in some really decent performances as well. And you can see that they've basically just decided, like, look, we're going down. There's not much we can do about it. It would take a miracle to not get relegated. So at this point, we're just going to try and do our best. But you can see every single week, Ford's don't really play with any pressure whatsoever. Um, and that's a completely different situation to a team like Hertha Berlin, I'd say. So... It's really interesting how that will play out uh, between now and the end of the season and what teams kind of buckle and which teams kind of thrive from it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think the relegation battle, it's always so hard to predict. And there's, of course, going to be a lot more twists and turns. And one positive result can turn into three negative results in a heartbeat. And, of course, the international break is going to be big. Um, we're going coming out of the re- international break. Um, as mentioned, Leverkusen against Hertha. It's going to be a big one. Um, Bielefeld are hosting Stuttgart mm. which I think is going to be a very interesting game and I think this is an, a good time to mention that um, after the international break we're changing the format of this podcast a little bit so we'll actually preview games um, mm-hmm. you know we're going to have a main this this, this show well, like there will be a main news segment as always at the end of at the end of a match day but then we're actually going to start previewing match days as well which I'm really excited about to add um, mm-hmm. so you will get us twice a week so that's exciting. <laughs> <Poor listener>. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's exciting. And that's going to start after the international break. So, so keep that in mind. But yeah, um, and then Augsburg, of course, against Wolfsburg on the Sunday, which is going to be really interesting as well, I think, because Wolfsburg, are we counting Wolfsburg out of there yet, Stefan? I think we probably can. Um you know, I know they lost obviously the weekend to Bayer Leverkusen, and I actually, I actually tipped them to win that game just because I thought Leverkusen had kind of given up for the season as they tend to do. Um, they obviously went on and won that game, two outstanding goals from Paulinho, um, and I can kind of understand where, um, you know, where the optimism still is with Wolfsburg. I know they've lost the last two games. I know they're still technically only what. Five points off relegation, but mm. I, I really do think they probably have turned a corner. Um, performers are doing performances are doing better. Uh, they got Veghorst out the door, who obviously wants to move on. Brooks has been told he can leave, so he's now actually beginning to play like his old self again because he knows he, he's getting the move he wants. And I think the whole team in general just seems to be playing a lot better football, to be honest with you. So it's a really condensed part of the table but mm. I'd be really surprised if Wolfsburg went down at this point something would have to go wrong again 
And it seems to me as if they've kind of put that all behind them. Even though they've lost, what, three of their last five games, technically on paper, yeah. you'd say they're still in the middle of it all. But I think, I think there's a kind of change of the wind with it at the Volkswagen Arena. Yeah, and the other one, I think Gladbach are probably going to be out too because, um, let's be honest, they're going to get those three points from the Skandalspiel on Freitag. Mm. Um, the Friday match, of course, of the a bottle thrown referee hit uh, around the seventieth minute, mm. and um, they were up two nil. And I, I, I don't, I don't think we have news on that yet. But I'm pretty sure the DFB will rule this game two nil in Gladbach's favor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that is an added three points, which will get them to thirty three, um, which means they're jumping to Quick Mafia eleventh or ahead. They did, of... Yeah, they they actually overtake Bochum. Yeah, they overtake Bochum and they overtake Wolfsburg. Mm. And with 33 points, you really only need another win or two and then you're, you're basically safe. Mm. Um, and I think they're going to get that. So we can probably take Gladbach out of that occasion too. A question is like, Bochum, probably safe too. I yeah, think so. I, th- I think so too. I was actually quite surprised at this performance. I was I watched this game as well, actually, on the Friday night. Yeah. And I was really surprised at how... Gladbach managed to keep cutting through them because Bochum have obviously built their entire season on this really strong defensive, these, these really strong defensive performances. I think they picked up like 90% of their points, maybe more from home games this season. Um, so for Gladbach to go there and really cut through them a lot, um, you know, it was a match. I'm trying to remember who actually scored on them. Pull it up. It was obviously playing in Bolo. Both scored really good goals. Um Bolos in particular was a great finish actually in the middle of the pitch, but <laughs> the interesting thing about what happened in this game is that you know obviously you had um, after after the incident you had the Bochum goalkeeper rhyming running towards the the, the 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 fans and he was furious and he was berating them and obviously he's doing so because you know it's a horrible thing to do and it's just it has no place in German football. I think other part of it was the fact that also that Bochum were really beginning to get back into the match. And yeah. I do wonder if that idiot in the stand hadn't thrown that beer, if Bochum might be able to claw this back. I know it's a huge ask of them, but look, we've seen Gladbach completely implode a hundred times this season. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, just before the game got called off, you know, Bochum had 15 attempts on goal to Gladbach's eight, so they were getting creating chances. And it did feel as though they were kind of beginning to regain the momentum and put Gladbach under a lot of pressure. So it's really interesting how that worked out. Gladbach will get all three points, deservedly so, I'd say, because of what happened. Um, but I, I I was surprised that I think Bochum would be f- frustrated at the fact that they managed to make it so easy for Gladbach in that game, but they should be fine. Yeah, I think they should be fine. Bochum led the XG 1.45 to 0.66. Oh, well, I mean, there you go then, yeah. Massive grain of salt every time I say XG, but like I, I do think that's... I, I'm with you. You do wonder, right? It, I, I think that whole incident is just so... We finally get fans back, and this happens, and it just reminds us that there were actually a huge amount of fan problems before whole COVID shut down fans for two years in German mm. football, and it's just such a cruel reminder that that's an issue but also Bochum literally put an advertising out the day off to not throw beer onto the field 
right? <laughs> like the day off, they mm. like they had one of their players. I can't remember which one it was making. You know, they like have this really beautiful commercial on how beer is brewed and what, what how it becomes this excellent thing to drink. And then the guy, one of the players, again, I'm sorry for not remembering who it was, says, "It's it's here to drink, not to throw on the pitch." Mm-hmm. And then it happens in that game, like with <laughs> the foreboding. It's just, yeah, if you just drink the beer, it's delicious. There's no need to throw it. It's pretty expensive too in stadiums, you know. Like I wouldn't throw my beer onto the field just alone for that. Like, yeah. So can I, can I, I make a can I make a final point in this game? And that's only to say um, a huge appreciation to Kevin Hatchard who was doing the commentary for the international feed of this game, and that poor man was probably in the midst of every commentator's worst nightmare, where essentially the football's cancelled but there's still a live feed of the game going out across the world. And I can't I can't remember who he was doing the co-commentary with, but he did a very admirable job uh, of keeping people interested, keeping them engaged and keeping them um, up to date with what was happening in the stadium. Uh, because it, but as silly as it sounds, it's just, it must be such a difficult job for a commentator when they don't actually have any football to talk about and they have to basically come up with stuff to to talk about so i know he listens to the show uh he's a big friend of the show so i just want to say well done to him because i thought he did a great job in those circumstances all those guys are great yeah like kevin uh derek who we obviously had on um bonnie and all these guys they, they, they do such a fantastic job so yeah. you, james thorough we both know quite well as well mm-hmm. right want to give a shout out to him too like yeah they're all great and um kevin will probably be the first to admit that it was a nightmare. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so good for him um, to keep people entertained for 20 minutes of no football. Um, Stefan, let's move up the table, significantly up the table, all the way to the other end of the table. And we saw the Champions League race. Interestingly enough, as you said already, Leverkusen rebound. They, they win their game after going out in the Europa League. Um, I mean, that's predictable. That's just the Leverkusen way, isn't it? Um, so unnecessary too um, with the chances that they gave away. And um, you just think there was such a big opportunity of actually having three German teams in the, in the quarterfinals of the UEL and it just doesn't happen again. Mm. Um, but good rebound match for them, wasn't it? Yeah, I'd say so. I mean, I, I didn't actually catch this game, um, but there was the, 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 the um, it's a huge result for them, obviously. Mm-hmm. Take on a Wolfsburg side, who I said I actually thought were in decent form. And it's just typical of Everkusen. Every time you expect them to win, they lose. And every time you expect them to lose, they win. Um and, you know, they're obviously going under huge strain right now with the injuries that they picked up. And, I th- you know, unfortunately for Leverkusen, I think it's just in their case of making sure they get into that top four and take mm-hmm. it from there. And I think, you know, they've obviously got the advantage right now because of they were really fortunate, actually, not only to pick up that win against Wolfsburg, who, again, I thought I just did a decent job of it, as far as I can tell in that game, but also the fu- what the six teams below them all dropped points. <laughs> which is just crazy. Um, you know, I actually thought it was a... I'm, I'm waiting to talk about this Leipzig game because I could rant about it for about 20 minutes, but... Um, <laughs> That's yeah. the next one. 
we're yeah, talking Lever- about that next. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I think Leverkusen were probably sitting with their feet up with a fat cigar in their mouth on today, uh, just because they've probably well they maybe not done enough just yet. There's still obviously a lot to play for, but um, this weekend worked out wonderfully for them. Yeah, and you know what? And this is a great transition to this this next game that I want to talk about because I do want to talk about Leipzig against Frankfurt. I think it's. Germany's two biggest hopes to finally win some silverware in Europe. Hmm. And I know who they got. Um, I know that Leipzig have Atalanta and they're extremely difficult to play against Leverkusen shoulder, but I do think that Leipzig probably have enough to beat them. Frankfurt with their dream um, draw against Barcelona. This is a draw that they can't lose. You know, like even if they go out, it doesn't matter because it's still, you know, especially now that Hessen the state of Hessen has announced that they can go back to full capacity. The Waldstadion is going to be on fire for this game against Barcelona. And you know what? Like Frankfurt, every time they are in the Europa League, they highlight what it takes to be competitive in this competition. Mm. It was extremely difficult against Real Betis. You know, they, they get that goal very late against them. And this Real Betis side is very good. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that happens. Um, they waste a lot of opportunities as well. But then in the 119th minute, minute Hinteregger with the dirtiest of all goals to win it for them and they go through. But that is the spirit of that competition. Mm-hmm. Right. And you see so many other German teams being almost lazy a little bit in this competition. And I'm looking at Dortmund and Leverkusen in particular for this. <laughs> um, and I'm really curious to see how Leipzig will do now that they actually re-enter this competition after they got a buy because they were drawn against Moscow, right? Spartak Moscow. Um, but so like Leip- uh, Leipzig against Frankfurt, Leipzig with the buy midweek, um, Frankfurt with 119 minutes that were extremely painful uh, for them. Somehow, and this is where I'm going back to you, they managed to get a point against Leipzig. Kevin Trapp standing on his head. Um, <laughs> I think the crossbow was hit a few times as well. Yeah. Somehow they are still a point. And this is just... Look, Frankfurt haven't had the most ideal Rückrunde. Um, they're probably going to put all the eggs in the basket for the Europa League now, which they should. Um, mm. But, boy, what a performance. You know, to just rescue a point there is just remarkable after what happened midweek. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I... I really did not expect this at all, to be honest with you. I really thought Leipzig would probably go on and pick this, pick up a decent result in this quite comfortably just because I thought, hey, Leipzig are the team who are performing very well at the minute. They're one of the most informed teams in the division. And obviously Frankfurt would be exhausted. And, you know, Tedesco said that in his press conference leading into the game. They said, it's actually quite hard for me to prepare for this match because I'm fully expecting... Um, Glasner to completely change his team about and to be fair he didn't actually really do a huge job of that it was mostly the starting 11 um, you know I didn't actually watch the second leg of the Frankfurt game midweek but I'm assuming that I mean it's most of the key players playing up front players that they play most weeks it's pretty much almost the same lineup yeah yeah I assume so you know because obviously there's Kamada Kostic Roda Lindstrom mm-hmm. Bore etc you know so near enough the exact same starting lineup and <laughs> It, it was just one of those games that I feel like if you played this another 100 times, Leipzig win it 4-0 99 out of 100 times. Um, 
you know, Frankfurt obviously went there to frustrate. And for the most part, they did do that. But I also think they were extremely fortunate. Um, Kunku missed countless chances. Silva missed chances. Olmo missed chances. At times, it was almost as if Leipzig were breaking through that defence so often that they weren't actually taking their opportunities seriously because, you know, they were almost... They knew they would have other ones that would come up. Um, I think I made a point that they basically were trying to walk the ball into the back of the net. And I think the one player for Frankfurt who deserves immense credit is Kevin Trapp. Um, he's been a fantastic Bundesliga goalkeeper for years. You know, he's, he's in the German national team. If I'm not mistaken, he's probably second to Neuer. Um, and he, he, he showed that at the weekend there because even though Frankfurt were very defensive, even though they tried to frustrate Leipzig so much, the actual team, I think, didn't do enough to stop Leipzig from scoring. Kevin Trapp did enough. There's one. There was one save in particular against Leimer where when you're watching it live, it looked as if the, the RB Leipzig midfielder simply skied the shot. But actually what happened was he hit a point-blank shot, running through on goal, hits a shot, and from about five feet away, Trapp gets an arm to it and hits it into the and knocks it over. And it's just, it's probably one of the most impressive saves I've seen of the season. And he did that countless times. There's a one point Paulson was through and he basically found himself kind of cutting across the Frankfurt goal. And he must have had about 50,000 people shouting at him just to shoot. And when you're watching it in real time, you're thinking, why has he not just tapped this into the back of the net? But then you watch the replay and you see the 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 gymnastics and the physicality of the way Kevin Trapp is just, he's just, you know, harassing him across that six-yard box and forcing him to think twice about shooting to the point where it completely put Paulson off shooting. Even though he's only a few yards off the, you know, the goal line, it was incredible five seconds of football. But I think that just did a fantastic job of just summing up the whole game because it was a match in which Leipzig should have taken their chances, but Kevin Trapp, more than anything else, was just heroic in stopping them from doing that. Um, and I think and I think Tedesco would have been furious after that game, maybe quietly furious, because if he would picked up three points in that match, um, you know, there's suddenly a wee bit of gap between him, Freiburg and Hoffenheim, who obviously both dropped points. Um, but, you know, it's not the end of the world for Leipzig. Um, they, they move on. Uh, another game without defeat for Tedesco. And I think they're still quite confident finishing the top four. Yeah, I think Leipzig are going to be in the top four. But I really want to underline what you said about Kevin Trapp. He's been... He had that time, you know, he went to PSG. Of course, it didn't work out. Mm. Came back. And he's a good... He really highlights or underlines that goalkeepers get better when they get older. Because right now, he's probably in the best form of his life. And... He's gotten better in so many aspects of his game that Frankfurt, he is Eintracht Frankfurt's almost most important player, together with Hinteregger, I think, um, and Kostic. Those three form the backbone of that side. And mm. yeah, all the kudos to him. He's been excellent. Um, whenever whenever he's good, Frankfurt have a chance to win. Mm. We've seen this many times. You know, there's, there's other examples. He also frustrated Bayern Munich. Mm -hmm. um, and there isn't... 
it's interesting because there wasn't a Twitter discussion yesterday about this. And someone asked me like, how important are goalkeepers? Mm. And I had a really interesting chat a few months ago with the guys that run goal impact. Mm-hmm. And they said the goalkeeper is actually the position where with the least amount of money, you can have the biggest impact for your site positively. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Negatively, um, it doesn't matter too much. Like there's, It's kind of like coaches. There's a lot of coaches out there, but there's only very few excellent coaches that will actually make a long-term impact on, on your winning percentage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's terrible ones that just screw it up for you. And the same mm-hmm. is kind of true for goalkeepers. There is a few goalkeepers out there that when you sign them, they will instantly win you six, seven, eight points on top of what you would usually get with your average goalkeeper, mm-hmm. right? But the problem is there's very few of them, like very little actually. Um, yeah. Neuer is one example. And I think actually Kevin Trapp is turning into that kind of goalkeeper. How many points has he won, Frank? Like literally won them this year, yeah. yeah, right? And he is a goal impact player. He is a player who makes your team better. Um, and this is maybe where I point to, to, because I know some of these people that were on my Twitter chat yesterday also listened to this podcast. So I think this is a great example where when you pick up a goalkeeper like him and you put him into your team, you will you will right away add six, seven points to your season. And I think Dortmund did this with Kobel mm-hmm. as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a keeper who, Berkey didn't really lose them points, but he didn't win them points either. Yeah. I mean, I yeah. remember, I remember Berkey letting in a few goals from time to time, but <laughs> no, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, I know he's. I know he's about to become a big MLS player, so I, I won't. I won't down talk him too much. But yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And the really interesting thing about Kevin Trapp is that maybe five or ten years ago, he was probably behind Ter Stegen and probably Bert Leno as well to an extent. But the two of them have kind of gone off the boil. They're not maybe as good as they once were, or maybe they just didn't live up to their potential. Um, and you can now quite feasibly see Trap moving into second place in the German national team. And then, you know, Neuer's not going to be around forever. Um, he's now, you know, contemplating what he's wanted you to do. Say that. <laughs> well, possibly. He yeah, might. We'll see. we'll see. We'll see. But you know, he's got he's bought four years older than Kevin Trapp, so yeah. there might be a time in the near future where Kevin Trapp is Germany's number one going into a major tournament, and that'd be that'd be incredible for him and probably deserved. He's just so reliable. You know, he's not as good with his feet than uh Tegen is. Hmm. I think that's the one upside Tegen has over yeah. uh, over Trapp. Because Tischdegen is almost as good with his feet than Neuer. No one is as good with their feet than Neuer is. But Tischdegen is in that same category as like Allison and um, Edison and those guys, right? Um, that's maybe the one downside with Trapp. But like Trapp is just so reliable. He's extremely good on the line. He's extremely good in his box control. And I think that is just, you just know he's going to be able to win your points. So, um, Yeah. There's our little eulogy on, on like, well, not really eulogy, like praise of, <laughs> of uh, Kevin Trapp because I think he's going to be a long time around. And uh, he's obviously part of the national team. He might even play. We never know. Manuel Neuer likes to skip the, the occasional friendly, so we'll see. Um, but yeah, that's the well, that's our top four talk. And I, I think with the top four, we can pretty much safely say um, 
you know, Leipzig are even on points with Freiburg and with Freiburg and Hoffenheim is one point behind. But I do, I still maintain, you know, sooner or later they're going to peel away, and that time is probably going to come sooner rather than later. Mm. Um, bef- before we wrap up the show, um, I do want to talk about Dortmund this week, and don't worry, Bayern fans, there's going to be a tiny bit about Bayern as well. Not very much because we did spend the majority of last week's podcast. And this stuff that we talked about last week is still all pretty much current. So you can give it a listen back and um, listen to what the excellent Kerry Howell had to say. We'll, we'll be back, by the way, Stefan. Um, I spoke mm. to Kerry. He was very keen on coming back. So we'll feature him a lot more often, which is going to be great. Uh, good fun. Um, but we do want to talk about Dortmund. There was a big article in Kicker. Um, a big expose on what the club is going to go through in the next coming months. And um, I think their title hope has been pretty much squashed now. There was a tiny glimmer of hope. I think if they beat Köln, then it's four points. You still have the game in hand against Bayern. Maybe you beat that, then it's one point. Who knows? Bayern have been losing points. And it might still be close in the end of the day, but I think Bayern will walk away with the title. Mm. Um, I think this much pretty much is a given. Um, but... It was it was interesting to read this article in Kicker on obviously Sebastian Kehl is becoming the new big man taking over from Zork, right? Who stayed on during the pandemic. He was supposed to retire before COVID hit and then said, Okay, I'm staying on during the pandemic and um then leaving and handing it over to Kale. And um it was very interesting how they article kind of framed the new club being now in the hands of Rose and Kale in for the future and the mm-hmm. things that they want to change and some of the names that are going to leave um, simply because the club thinks that these are assets that they can sell with a profit and need to be sold in order to make this team a different team. Mm-hmm. Uh, Torgen Hazard was one of the players mentioned to be sold. Uh, Julian Brandt, because there's a market for him in England. Um, Haaland, I think, is safe to say he's going to go. I think we just need to find out which club. And um, right now, reports indicate City. I don't think Real Madrid are out by any means. But, you know, this is the tendency towards where it's going. Mm. Um, the player that's coming in is Sule. And they were saying another defender is coming in. And I think anyone who, who's following the Dortmund situation knows that that's quite well. That's happening. Mm. They want to sort of build a squad of 16 top-class players um, and then players that can come off the bench, youth players, young players, and they, 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 their team in the UEFA Youth League has done quite well this year. So there's a lot of talent um, in the reserves, ready and waiting to sort of spit, fit in spots. But um, And then Adeyemi, of course, they're working on that transfer. Um, the personal terms are agreed between them and the player, but they're still working on a transfer fee, which is Salzburg is always difficult, right? Mm-hmm. Um so with all that in mind, I think there's a lot to pick through here. I think the number one lesson that I took away from this article, and I think we've sort of talked about this many times in the show, is Dortmund want to become younger, faster, and less easy to calculate. And the question then, of course, is how are they going to do it? Um, or I need to add the second defender is probably going to be Nico Schlotterbeck, hmm. um, which is interesting. Um, but how do you do that is going to be very difficult. And Rose said it will probably take up up to three transfer windows to actually go through with this. So here's maybe my question, walking away from this article. I think that's handing the number two spot for the foreseeable future and maybe the number one title challenger position in the Bundesliga to Leipzig. Yeah, they 
I mean, the interesting thing is that I'm not sure if I'm a Dortmund fan. I'm actually quite enthused by that new that news to because if anything, you know, they've spent the last five six years or basically well actually when Klopp was still there with this strategy of signing young players, developing them, and then moving them on. And in the last two or three years, they obviously try to. They did a very short term fix, or they tried to do a short term fix, and that's when they brought in a host of you know more senior players. That's why we saw guys like Witzel, Emery Chan. We saw Mats Hummels return. Um, you know that was the that was to try and balance out this kind of youthful exuberance with some experience and. You can understand why they've maybe said, oh, "Do you know what we need? Maybe we need to just go back to the drawing board and and, and and go back to the useful thing." Because I know Emery Chan had a very good game in midweek against Mainz, but by and large, Dortmund's problems have begun and ended with the older players in their team this season. Uh, I don't think Mats Hummels has been very good. I don't think Emery Chan has been very good. Uh, I think. The huge problems they have in midfield is because they haven't signed a replacement to Axel Witzel or Thomas Delaney, who they sold. Um, in fact, probably the only player over 28 who has performed well this season is probably Marco Royce. So, I mean, even, and, and, and actually, I'd probably add Guillermo to that, actually, as a, as a senior player who's underperformed as well. Nico mm, and he's on the list to be sold. Yeah, yeah. So, on the one hand, I can understand this decision to move away from older, more experienced players, because I think that as a, as a, as a, as a, as a, as an experiment failed. Um, but then I also think, you know, if Dortmund are just going to continue this kind of trend of snapping up players from Manchester City's youth academy and hoping they'll stick around long enough to help challenge for the title, then I think we've seen in the last 10 years or so that that's just not going to happen. I think we have to remember that that Jurgen Klopp side was obviously put together because they had an exceptional head coach, but also because they just had a very good blend of not only talented young players coming through, but they also had players who really knew what it meant to play for that club. You know, mm. it's your it's it's your um, your Subotiches or your Marcel Schmitzers, Schmelzer rather, Weidenfeller. You know, these guys, none of them were first team picks for. Bayern Munich if they could pick them but these are the guys who know what it meant to play for Dortmund and I think that's probably what's really required now maybe that's what uh, a Sula can become or you know maybe a Schlotterbeck can become because he knows what it means to play for Dortmund because he's obviously a German player who's got experience playing in the Bundesliga but I think you have to have that blend And and like you said it is very interesting because RB Leipzig I think do have that blend. They have a lot of very exciting young players who expect to be challenging at the top of the table, but they also have these kind of seasoned pros and Forsberg and, and Poulsen and Orban, you know, and Galachi and Goals. You know, they have they have their seasoned pros who've proven that they're indispensable. And actually, if you probably want to compare either Dortmund or Leipzig to that Klopp, Dortmund team, I think Leipzig actually have a much more similar balance to it and that's why on the whole they probably have a much better squad and I completely agree with you, I mean, we'll need to see what happens this summer uh, with Dortmund, you know, whether Erling Haaland moves on or, 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 you know if they sell three or four of these kind of older squad players that we talked about, but even if they do that 
And then even if they bring in Schlotterbeck and Sula and maybe bring in Adeyemi, that still means a huge amount of upheaval, a huge amount of transition periods. I mean, poor, I feel sorry for Adeyemi, the thought of him coming into this team in the summer and being asked to replace Erling Haaland. So it's, again... It's a it's a huge ask. It's a huge ask. And this is always the problem with Dortmund. They, they, every summer is a case of wiping the wiping the slate clean and starting again. And I think I think the thing that got me really excited about Sula signing is that he's obviously a player that they're going to buy or they're going to bring in for free, but obviously one that by the time he's up and running at Dortmund, they're probably not going to sell him on for a huge profit because by then he'll be 28, 29 maybe. Um so he's obviously signed with a purpose of making the team better. He's not signed with the purpose of developing and then selling him on. And actually, I think this is a good week to... What, something that's happened this week, which is the Deloitte financial report came out this week, which is the, the money league that they do every year, which yeah. says how many how much money each team wins or makes every year in revenue. And these kind of things are annual reminders that Dortmund do make a huge amount of money. As it stands, I mean, no, in terms of revenue, they're only a couple million pounds behind, or euros rather, behind Arsenal. And I'm not saying Arsenal are fantastically good because obviously they're, <laughs> well, they're doing okay this season, but, you know, they've been a mid table team in the Premier League for long, but they are technically one of the biggest clubs in the world, Arsenal. But it, 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 I don't understand why Arsenal, um, with their revenue, and, you know, they do run a profit, they're not like one of these English clubs that runs at a loss, as far as I can tell. You don't see Arsenal running around terrified at the thought of signing players over the age of 27 or 28 for fear of having to having to sell them on. Mikel Arteta's trying to build a squad there to win things. So so I don't I don't understand why Dortmund imposed this their this this own their own constraints on things that they have to buy players to sell them on. Why can't they just buy players to win things? Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think Sula kind of is that, isn't it? Yeah, I course, think that yeah. that is maybe the 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 one thing that we can point at with some optimism is to say, well, here's a player who came and he has been quite open about that. He's going to Dortmund to win. And he's going to Dortmund because he to win with Dortmund because he thinks it's a bigger challenge to win with them than with Bayern, right? And I look at that transfer and there's there's lots of things that you can say about. It. I think it's it's a it's a very important deal for them because it, it it does also fill in a key role. But I look at that and it's like more of that, please. Mm. You know, this is the characters that you need to bring in um, to build an identity. And this is where where I'm going to say something really controversial right now because Leipzig have an identity. Mm. Right, Dortmund fans, close your ears now because you don't want to hear that. But your club doesn't at the moment. And Leipzig do. They have an identity. And you know what why I think it's fitting to say that is because when they signed Jesse Marsh and they realized that he did not fit the club's identity, they fired him, despite him being a long-term Red Bull coach. And um Dortmund had an identity under Jurgen Klopp. And then Klopp leaves and Tuchel comes in. And he's sort of able to kind of bridge it a little bit, but he bridged the he built the bridge into nowhere. And they've been kind of chasing this identity ever since. And 
it's just I, I wish Kiel and Rosa all the best. The baton is now with them. And I hope that the number one thing that they need to establish at this club to for this club to be successful. And this is a this is not a poor club. I know they like to emphasize this, and I'm totally with you, Stefan. This is a club the size of Arsenal. Hmm. And um we make a lot of fun of Arsenal on this podcast because you know they're the sort of team that go to Munich and get smashed seven 0 Um and I guess that's the big problem with the Bundesliga is that there's a lot of Arsenals and um Man United's and that, those kind of size of clubs in that league. But there's unfortunately also a team in that league that is bigger than any other team in the world at the moment. And Bayern Munich, with all the problems that they have, are still a part of that category. You just how do you find out the quickest way how big Bayern is? You just pair them against a Premier League side not named City or Liverpool, and they will destroy that team. Mm. Absolutely dismantle them, right? And that's just a fact of life. And for Dortmund and all these other teams, that sucks. <laughs> it really <laughs> does. But, you know, I mean, at the same time, um, you see Leipzig just plucking away at it. And they will dethrone Bayern in the next few years. I'm 100% certain of it. And... I'm not sure Dortmund is going to get there. Um, it's a really interesting one. I'm really curious to see which direction Dortmund are going to take it. And we're going to talk about it a lot more, I think, because now we're getting into that nitty-gritty kind of, with Bayern having secured the title more or less, into this nitty-gritty kind of off-season stuff that I really love. I always find it very enjoyable. Mm. Um, I did say that we're going to talk about Bayern very briefly this week. Um, very briefly, Orni. Villarreal in the Champions League, Stefan. That's a must-go-through, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Uh, they've been really fortunate with that. They've been really fortunate with both ties, actually. I know Salzburg caused issues in, in Austria, but it was a very fortunate tie there. Villarreal. I think the only other team that was possibly easier would have been Benfica because they've obviously played them twice. But, yeah. I mean, I think Villarreal are a good side. Don't get me wrong. But um, it'd be a good test for Bayern. And, but these... This is the team. These are the teams they have to make sure they don't slip up against on their way to hopefully challenging the likes of Liverpool and Manchester City. Yeah, and I think that with that that in mind, those are the three teams that I think are going to be the Champions League contenders this year. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Because like Chelsea have so much upheaval. I, yeah. I personally think Chelsea should be no longer in the Champions League, but that's a completely different story. <laughs> um, I think they should have been kicked out with all the other Russian assets, but. Um, yeah, that that sums it up. As I said, um, we'll, we might be able to record during the international break. We'll let's see how that goes. If not, we'll, you, we'll be back before the next Bundesliga match day for sure with a preview. Um, and until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.